Hey, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. Glad you're here. And welcome if you're over at our Abingdon campus or our Edgewood campus or Bel Air campus, Mountain Road campus online, wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, how many of you have, have seen um, one of the Rocky films. Just, I mean, you know, let me see your hands. Okay. I hope, I hope that's most of you. If you're a young person and you've not seen the Rocky films, you have bad parents. Okay, that, it's in, this is important literature, uh, film literature to see. I, lo- I actually love the, I love the Rocky stories. You got to love it. It's the ultimate underdog story. You've got this, this, this guy, you know, this underdog, nobody from nowhere in the back streets of Philly, this boxer, right? And he's got nothing. He's got no money. He's got no big gym. He's, got, he's only got Mickey for a trainer. But he's got Adrian. And he's got, and he's got a big heart. And, and, uh, and he's, so he trains like crazy, right? He goes into the locker, locker and he's hitting the meat lock, you know, hitting the meat and stuff. And then he's up and down the stairs. Come on, everybody. You're feeling it, aren't you? All right, you get it. So I, I, I love that. And then he goes up against Apollo Creed, the heavyweight champion of the world. He's got no chance, no chance, right? I mean, it's like he's, he's way in over his head. But so Apollo just keeps coming at him, blow after blow, hits it in the body. He's got it in the face, in the jaw, in the head, and he won't go down. He just, this guy won't go down. And he just keeps fighting and hanging in there. And he goes the distance with Apollo Creed. Remember, remember when in the middle of the fight, he gets his, he's just, Big old black guy. He's got his eyes puffed up like a tomato. He staggers over to his corner. And what are they? They're like, what do we do, Rocky? Do we quit? Do we stop the fight? Do you want to be done? What does he say? Cut me. Cut me. Cut me. So they cut him. So now he can see. He gets out there and he goes, this guy is amazing. And, and, uh, and then, of course, there's Rocky too. Rocky too. He comes back and he beats Apollo Creed, right? And then there's Rocky three, and Rocky four, and Rocky five. And six and seven and eight and nine and ten. They're working on, I think they're actually working on Rocky 17 right now. He comes out in a walker. And he's like, <laughs> you can't knock his teeth out anymore because he doesn't have any. Can't hear the bell between rounds. Like, what? Are we done? So, yeah. But you know what? You can have Rocky 25 if you want to. It's pretty much the same story. It's pretty much the same story. At the end, he's going to be still standing. My friends, listen, I mean this with all seriousness. That's pretty much the story of the church of Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate underdog story. It's the ultimate underdog story. And you know what? We're still standing. We're still standing. It began with Jesus. Backwater, nowheresville, Nazareth, doesn't have anything. No big backing, no big bank. But here he is just coming out of nowhere. But he's got heart and he's got his father And they came at him and they tried to take him down. The religious officials, they tried to take him out. They hit him to the body. They hit him to the head. Pontius Pilate tried to take him down. Even death itself tried to take him down. He goes down. He's on the mat. One, two, three days later, he's up. Jesus is alive, right? This is the story. And then he gathers that band of unschooled ruffians, those unsophisticated followers who have the same indomitable spirit. They won't be squashed. They won't be put down. And they rise up and they form this movement that stands up against the regimes and the empires and the philosophies and the money and the power of the world. And this 
church has been persecuted through the centuries. It's been attacked. It's been ridiculed. They tried to stomp it out. They tried to stamp it out. They tried to snuff it out. And even our own problems, not just outside persecution, but internally, all the mistakes and the foibles of the human part of the church that have screwed up and made dumb decisions. It can be so discouraging and so defeating. But you know what? After all of that, the church of Jesus Christ is still standing. You can't count it out. You can't put it away. You can't just say goodbye. You can't take it down with all of its flaws and problems. We're still unleashing love. We're still transforming from darkness to light. It started with one guy, then moved to 12, and then to 70 and 500, and now well over 2 billion people worldwide say, Jesus is my Lord. It's growing rapidly in Taiwan. It's growing rapidly in sub-Saharan Africa. It's growing rapidly in South America. It's growing rapidly in India. It's growing rapidly. It's the fastest growing religious movement in China. All over the world, this church is alive and well. My friend, that's what we're going to be talking about in this series, this church that is still standing. Still standing. It's gone through a lot of changes. Changes in the way it looks in different cultures, different buildings, different worship expressions, but it's still standing and we cling to the same foundational message that came out of the mouth of Jesus that comes from the heart of God that goes back an unbroken chain for 2,000 years. Pretty big deal. These core foundational beliefs And when you feel like Rocky, when you're taking blows to the body and knocks to the head because your life is just really difficult and and, and you're staggering because of what's going on in your life, you can still stand too. And the way you can stand is not by just sucking it up and being strong, but by resting on the foundation of these truths and this God that is behind it all. And that's what we want to talk about over the next several weeks. Do you know what you believe? Can you articulate it? Can you talk about and describe the core beliefs of Christian faith? Have you ever wished there was like a short summary somewhere that, 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 uh, that could just sort of compile in a sort of Christianity for dummies way you know, just the important stuff that's based entirely on the Bible, but shorter than the Bible, so that we could just get captured in one place who the Bible, what the Bible says about who we are and who God is and what he's done. Well, if you ever thought that, well, in fact, there is such a place. <laughs> it's called the Apostles' Creed. And over the next few weeks, it's, we're going to let the Apostles' Creed kind of point us to places in the Bible that really just tell the story of our faith, the stuff we cling to and stand on. So a creed. A creed is just really a short, simple statement of faith. It's a confession of belief. It's, it's a person saying, this is what I believe. And the Apostles' Creed is 1,800 years old. It's the oldest and simplest, most concise statement. It somehow manages to take the 66 books of the Bible with all of its parables and poems and prophecy and, and uh, pastoral epistles and all of that stuff, and, and then just summarizes it all down into a handy, concise, memorable statement about who God is and what we... You can step back and look at it and go, yep, that's us. That's what we believe. And we can unite around it. It's been used for lots of things. It's been used to teach newcomers. Like if someone comes into the faith, it's like, well, we better get them straight on who we are and what we believe. Here, use this as a tool to get you started. 
You could use it for that. You could use it to sort of refute false teaching. When people come and have crazy ideas about what Christianity is, you can say, wait a second, that's not right. Here, start with this, and it'll kind of get our heads on straight. It can also be used in worship, like as a kind of renewal of your vows with God, a kind of personal declaration that you're clinging to him. And we'll use it in all of those ways over the coming weeks. Now, I bet we're all over the, pl- all over the place um, on this matter of the creed. Like some of us probably had some church background or went to church when we were kids or you know, even recently that actually said the creed. Or you've heard of this before. How many of you, raise your hand if that was you. You know about this creed already. Oh, look at all those hands go up. Okay. Some of you are like, well, I went to church a lot, and I never heard of this before. We never did that. It can't be good. You know, how many of that's you? You know, you went to church, but you never did the creed. Only me. Okay. (laughs) All right. And some of you are like, my only question is, I don't do this stuff, so what's an apostle? I mean, I thought it was a clothing line, so... Or what's a creed? You know, is that the guy in Rocky is still talking about? What, you know, what, what, what? So don't worry wherever you are on this, it's okay. And I hope what will happen is this will probably be something, it'll feel like a little review for some, but it's going to refresh because for a lot of us, we did this on cruise control with our minds checked out. We recited words and it never meant anything. And we're going to have them come alive so you can hold on to your faith. And others of us, it's unfamiliar. It's going to become something we can anchor into our souls. And for all of us, it's an opportunity to figure out What do we believe? Here's what the Apostles' Creed says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of everlasting. There it is. Should look like a bunch of phrases pretty much right from the Bible, kind of all stapled together in one little statement. That's what it is. It's pretty dense. A lot of stuff in here in 18 lines, right? Where each, one, each phrase is sort of like a room you can go into and just sort of walk around for a while. We're going to do that. We're just going to go into those rooms and, and kind of see what's there. And if you want to be a Christian... This is what you believe. You don't get to say, well, I think this, and this is, and then slap whatever label Christian you want on anything you think. No, it doesn't work that way. There is a sort of body of belief that Christians through time and history have adopted. This is it. Now, let's be clear. We're not expressing faith in the creed, okay? We don't put our faith in the creed. The creed itself is not authoritative, It's not the Bible, but if it points us to Jesus, if it points us to the scriptures itself, it's like a sermon in that regard. It's like the sermon isn't authoritative, but if it talks about the word of God or gets us connected to Jesus, then it's a good thing. We don't want to be afraid of it. Some people actually think of creeds as a bad thing. I, I kind of think that's okay to, to, to have some caution about creeds because creeds, you know, sometimes they can be a little divisive. 
we get man-made words in there trying to figure out how to describe what the Bible says. And why don't you just let the Bible say it? I actually, there's a phrase that we sometimes teach around here. We have no creed but Christ. I like that. And if a creed is a bunch of man-made rules and guidelines that the church is trying to write up and sort of get you to do what they want or think how they want you to think, then you have every right to be wary of it and get away from it. But if the creed is really just a restatement of the actual words of Scripture itself and can kind of help be helpful in summarizing and clarifying, then I think we would be pretty smart to, to be open to it. So we're not going to be preaching the creed. We're going to be preaching the Bible. We're going to let the, Bible, we're going to let the creed kind of shine a light on where we want to go. You know, I think of it this way. The creed is kind of like the moon. The moon, you can look at the moon sometimes. It kind of takes your breath away. It's like, wow, it's pretty cool, awesome. You're up in the sky and even can lead you to want to worship God out of it. But you know what? The moon doesn't have any light of its own. Some of you are like, it doesn't? Uh, that's a science thing. You'll have to get that somewhere else. But no, it does not. When we see the moon, all we're seeing is what? A reflection of the sun. The sun is beaming off of it. That's how the creed is. It doesn't have any power, authority. The Bible itself is the thing that's this trustworthy, infallible word of God. And it shines light and bounces off the creed. And the creed itself can really be helpful and illumine our way in a dark world. So that's how we'll look at it. It's been around for a long, long time. We're going to be kind of countercultural here because we're going to get old. We're going to get ancient. We live in a society that wants the latest and the greatest. I don't care. You know, it's not just our produce that doesn't hang around long. Our fads and our apps and everything, if it's not new, we don't, we're not interested in it. Well, you know what? We're just going to say nuts to all that. We're going to get old for a while. We're going to go back to the ancient path. Jeremiah 6, God talking to his people about what he hopes happened in their life. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. You come to a place in your life, you don't know what to do. You get to a crossroads. What should I do? How should I move forward? What should I build my life on? Which direction do I go? God says, look around, and when you do, choose the old godly way and walk in it. Travel the ancient path, and you will find rest for your souls. These old, time-honored, time-tested, foundational truths of God that we're going to talk about will bring more rest to our souls than some newfangled idea ever will. So we're going to walk in them together for a few weeks. So some people are fascinated to learn that the Bible itself contains a whole bunch of creeds. A creed is, again, just a short, simple summary statement of stuff that we believe. And so in the Bible itself, the people of God has always kind of adopted creeds. So, for example, the Old Testament children of Israel, one of their creeds was, would have been like Deuteronomy 6. They recited it every day. It was a good summary of their faith. In Hebrew, Shema, Ya Israel, Adonai, Elohenu, Adonai, Echad. How's your Hebrew doing? But every Jewish person still today would recite that every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, with all your strength. This is what Jesus quoted. The next verse says, These commandments that I give you, it be on your hearts and press them on your children. Tell them everywhere you go, up and down the streets and everything. This was one of their creeds. You get to the New Testament, you see all kinds of these examples. Philippians 2 is a creedal statement, for example. Or 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For what I received some stuff the truth about our faith, and I am passing it on to you because it's really, really important. And here it is. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. All stuff that you're going to find appearing again right in the Creed because the early Christians believed this is really important. By far, the oldest, simplest, and most important Creed that the early Christians recited, which is all through the New Testament, 
was only two words in Greek. Kyrios Christos. We would say, Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord. It's a creedal statement, and it packed a powerful punch. It said everything that was most important to say. It doesn't say everything, but it, it really said the most important thing. And it was an act of defiance and rebellion to say it. You see, because those words rose up in the ancient Roman Empire, where Caesar was the undisputed ruler and was thought to have divine attributes. It was, he was a godlike figure who demanded absolute loyalty and allegiance from his subjects, so much so that what everyone was commanded to say at peril of death, if you didn't say it, Caesar is Lord. Caesar will take care of us. Caesar will provide for us. Caesar is boss. See what Caesar says goes. And the, there was this little upstart group of folk who wouldn't say it. Who said instead, no. We'll be good citizens. We'll pay our taxes. We'll, we'll, we'll be salt and light in this place. But you know what? Jesus is Lord. And it was a defiant way of saying, we don't believe what everybody else believes. There's a sort of way of thinking that everybody thinks is the way that everything is. You know what? We don't go that way. And when you utter these words from the creed, as you're going to be invited to do so in a bit, you're invited to kind of stand, linking arms with other people who are just so crazy to go against the empires around us and say, we believe something very distinct about who God is and what he's doing in the world. Not everyone will believe it, but you might. There were lots of other creeds that came along over the years. We don't have time to do a history lesson on this. Most of them came along because somebody else came along with a sort of new idea to sort of try to twist or change Christianity. Some heretical teaching. Oh, Jesus wasn't really human. Oh, Jesus wasn't really divine. Jesus and the Father weren't really that close. All this stuff came along, and they they have names for all of these things. Docetism, Gnosticism, Arianism, Marcionism. And so we came up with all these other creeds. The Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed in the 4th century. Chalcedonian Creed, 5th century. Athanasian Creed, 6th century. You don't need to know any of that except to say they all get kind of long and cumbersome and add in a bunch of philosophy and stuff. And you know what? They're worthwhile, but we love the Apostles' Creed because it's really short and compact and it just says what you need. Bible stuff. That's why it's still around. You may know that a group of us are climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, Lord willing, in August. Um, so I'm training for that and getting ready for that and excited for that. Why are we doing it? Well, we're doing it to raise awareness and mostly funds for some kids from the slums of Nairobi who've been sponsored through Missions of Hope, but now they've graduated, but they need some help on their next steps to have opportunity to get a scholarship or to, to, to borrow some money to go to college, which is a rare opportunity for them, but we're climbing this mountain to raise some funds to help provide those funds for those kids. If you want to help, by the way, we'd love, I'd love your help. You can go to my website or my Twitter or, or Instagram or, or Facebook and get on there. I would love you to help me uh, put some money in the bank for these kids to be able to draw from. Why am I telling you all this? That mountain is over 19,000 feet tall. I mean, you're hiking at altitude like that, and they've told us there's a bunch of extra snow and ice this year. Great. I'm glad to hear that. You can barely breathe. You don't want any excess baggage. When you're packing your bag, there's some things that sound like a good idea down below. It's like, well, I might need that stapler. How about this weight? I might want to lift weights. You know, you're putting all this stuff in your pack. 
And then you're, you're trugging up there. It's not a good idea. It's not a blessing anymore. It's a burden, isn't it? And so you want to pack just what you need, nothing extra. And that's the Apostles' Creed. It packs a nice, tight, lean little pack. Everything you need, but nothing more. Now, there are some reasons why I think this can help us and some stuff it can do for us. Let's talk about a couple of those. Why, why would we use this as a way to un, un, open up the Bible? For number one, talking about the creed, it, 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 can be, it can be good for your head. Good for your head. Here's what I mean. It can clarify our understanding of what we actually believe. And I think there's a lot of muddy waters on what Christians actually believe. I think there's a lot of people saying, well, I think this or I think that, you know, or, or we just kind of slap on the label Christian on whatever we want. You don't get to do that. There is a sort of accepted truth of orthodox Christianity, and you, you better know what it is. Some people say today, you know, it's like, well, I just, my faith, I just feel it down here. Well, that's great. You got feelings going on down there. Hope it isn't the pizza. But you better also get something up here. Otherwise, you're going to be floating around and tossed on every wave of, of teaching that comes along, and you're not anchored at all. Okay? You're in trouble is what you are. Christianity doesn't boil down to a bunch of emotionalism or fluff, or, or it's not vague, it's not mushy, it's not just feelings. You know what? There's a body of stuff. Let's get it, let's get it good in our head, okay? Second thing, it's good for your heart. Because when you say it, it's more than stuff in our head, it's... You're invited to sort of revisit your level of personal devotion to Christ. It's an opportunity to examine, where am I? Maybe some of you are wavering in your faith lately. Maybe you're struggling with doubt. Maybe you're going through a really hard time. One of those times that leads you to say, God, I don't understand. I don't, I don't like what's going on in my life. And you may not understand, you may not like it, but you can fall back and you can still say, God, I believe. I'm going to hold on to you. It's good for our hearts. It's also good for balance. In other words, it kind of keeps our faith in balance. So we get the whole counsel of Scripture. You can think of the word symmetry here. Like we want a balanced faith. Like sometimes we like to kind of emphasize the parts of the Bible that we like and kind of conveniently ignore the parts of the Bible that we're not very familiar with or just don't make sense to us or we've just never bothered to study. And the creed's like, that, 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 that. Going to take us through the whole thing. Can't just talk about the love without the truth. Can't just hammer on the truth without talking about the love. So we got to talk about both. It's like... Um, if, you know, I, you're not going to, this is going to be a shocker for you, but I actually don't work out much. <laughs> I know. So I don't even lift. But if I did go to the gym and you go to the gym, some of you, when you get there, there's always a guy like this. There's always a guy at, the, at every gym over, you know, he's over at the barbells and he, from his, his upper body is just stacked. He's, you know, he's just got these big old pecs rippling out. He's got biceps and triceps and muscles in places. I don't even have places. And he's just like super strong. You know what? And he's just like bench pressing a million pounds. And you know what? But, but there's always a guy like this who looks like that on the top, but then his legs are little puny sticks because he just doesn't like to do his legs. So he always wears like long pants because he's hiding his little embarrassment. He looks like an upside down pear with toothpicks sticking out the bottom, like a big tough dude. But you go over him, he's like, push him. He's like, oh, and he falls over because he's so big on top. He's Our faith is like that sometimes. Some people develop a faith that looks like an upside down pear with toothpicks because we're out of balance. 
And we need to just say, look, we got to get, you know, we got to not just talk about God the Father. We got to talk about the Holy Spirit sometimes. We got to talk not just about judgment. We got to talk about forgiveness. And it's all there in the creed. It's going to make sure we're balanced. And you know what else it's good for? It's good for our body. And by that, I mean the body of Christ. When we do the creed, we remind ourselves we're not alone. You're never alone in your faith. You stand as you recite words like these in an unbroken line that extends all the way back thousands of years right to Jesus. And it extends out to the edges of the globe. And it extends back in time. We're part of something really big. And it gives us a thing to come together on. One church around these words. So, notice something important about how the creed begins. It begins with what two words? Do you remember? I believe. I believe. Which is kind of a bold statement to begin with. In Latin, it's just one word, credo. That's where you get the word creed. It means I believe. It's a statement of belief. And we live in an age of skepticism. A lot of people think, well, I don't, I don't believe this or that. You know what? You don't, you don't get to not believe something. Everyone believes something. If you're human, you don't have any choice. That's the way humans work. You believe something. What you do get to decide is who or what you believe in. And the creed gives us an opportunity to say, here's what I believe in. I believe in God. And faith of the Bible kind, when you stand and say, I believe, is radical, it's rational, and it's relational. Radical? Rational and relational. When we say, I believe, it's radical. In other words, you're saying, there's a whole bunch of people going this way, but I don't, I don't believe in materialism. I don't think that more stuff's going to make me happy or that this world is all there is and that everything that's important can be measured in a laboratory. I believe there's more. I don't believe in individualism or humanism where I'm the answer to all the world's problems. I, I, I don't believe that, that there isn't such a thing as sin or evil. I, think, I, I, I believe in something different. I don't, I don't believe that capitalism is the sort of best philosophy. It might be a great you know, financial rule to live by, but I don't want to define the world in terms of getting or competition or winner takes all. I want to believe also in, in giving and sharing in life for others. I don't want to believe in just nationalism. I want to believe in a higher kingdom. There's all kind of stuff you're saying I don't believe. I, I believe when we say I believe in the creator of all things, creator of heaven and earth, you believe that life is a gift. You believe that life is sacred, that life has worth and value, whether you you're talking about an unborn child or a child at the border. It changed. What you believe has an impact on how you think and behave on everything. And that's how it begins, I believe. And belief really matters according to the Bible. Romans 10 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, this is a matter of life and death. You'll be saved with that. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified and your mouth professes the same thing and you're saved. It's, it's radical. It's second, it's rational. Faith in the Bible is rational. There's a mental, you're saying, you're saying, um, I understand this. I have faith that this is true. It's important because we need to remember this because sometimes I think we forget being a Christian doesn't mean putting your brains in a sack. It doesn't mean stop thinking as if, you know, this is what skeptics today sort of mistakenly project Christianity as like, as if it means to be a Christian. It's some sort of, we're pinning our hopes on some empty flight of fancy. We're just kind of, 
having this desperate grasp um, for, for something that we know real science has proven doesn't, God doesn't exist, uh, you know, as if, as if it's some sort of blind leap in the dark. This is not biblical faith at all. Biblical Christianity, Christianity isn't ignorant. Christianity isn't unreasonable. In fact, it's the most historically based religion, and it's based on the hard facts of history and built on foundations of reason and truth. Faith isn't a blind leap in the dark. It's an embracing of the light. Paul says, I know the one in whom I have believed, and therefore my future is secure. It's rational. And last, it's relational. It's relational, meaning this is about a relationship. It's not some abstract belief. It's about you saying you trust God. You you don't just believe that this is true. You believe in someone. You're placing your life in his hands. These aren't just words and just doctrine. This is a way of looking at the world. Like that man who was born blind and Jesus says to him in John 9, do you believe in the Son of God? Do you? That's not just like, oh, I believe he existed. Jesus wasn't asking that. James says even the demons believe that. And that man responds as you're invited to respond. In verse 38, he says, I, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. When you add in the worshipped him part, now we're talking about a relationship. And that's what credo, I believe, invites us to. A faith that is radical because no one is going a different way. It's rational. It's not just blind leap. And it's relational. Here's the phrase. The first phrase in its entirety goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The first thing we have to get to is saying, I believe in God. You're affirming that there is the existence of a God and that God is real. And that he's there. And the whole phrase is, I believe In God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. Here it is. For there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. Pretty much exactly what the creed is saying. Which reminds me then, as we begin, the creed wants to start saying there is a God. This God is real. And you can know this God. And we'll talk about the tri- how God is three in one, which is a mind blower. And it begins by describing God as Father and Creator and Almighty. Which reminds me of the A.W. Tozer quote, which says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What a society believes about God will determine whether they are kind or barbaric. What a family believes about God will determine a lot about how they resolve conflict. What you believe about God doesn't just determine your eternal destiny. It determines how you live every day. It's the most important thing about us. That's what's so dumbfounding when you see people who call themselves Christians act in ways that do not resemble Christianity or Christ at all. Back up whatever crazy thing they want to say or do with some Bible verse plucked out of the sky. And yet they act with anger or judgment or hatred or unkindness. It's like, have we forgotten this is a religion based on Jesus? 
So this all matters. It says creator of heaven and earth. That means God is not the creation, not the same thing. We don't believe in pantheism. God is not um, sort of inhabiting the creation like, like he's some sort of impersonal force. That's panentheism. We're saying no. God didn't create and then just check out and go to permanent lunch break. That's deism. We don't believe that. It's not Gnosticism. It's not God is distinct from creation, and yet God's fingerprints are all over creation. We can see his hand and handiwork and everything and all of it from a butterfly to the moon can draw us to the Lord, and he is sovereign over creation. He loves his creation. He's concerned for his creation. He has entrusted us to care for his creation, and he's still active in creation. He didn't just create once a long time ago. He's still creating today. In fact, he's making all things new. He's still at work. This is the creator God we believe in. It's very distinct from any other religion. So we want to, each time we come down here, leave ourselves with something really practical. Like, so what? We've established what the creed is. We've talked about this first phrase, God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So what? Let's leave every week with something really practical to hang on to. Here's what I would tell you maybe we should take home this week. Maybe you want to write this down if you're taking notes. We believe that God the Father Almighty is infinitely powerful. But at the same time, he's intimately personal. That's the God that we serve. Infinitely powerful. Two sides of the same God. He's almighty. He's large and he's in charge. He's powerful. He's got might and strength and grandiosity and and is awesome. He's fearsome, fearful to be obeyed, to be revered, revered. He's God almighty. And yet, how are we invited to address him as what? Father. It's crazy. Infinitely powerful, intimately personal. This is what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Remember the Lord's Prayer? It's found in Matthew chapter 6. They say, how do we pray? Look at all the big, large, and in charge, God Almighty stuff in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, he's in heaven. He's holy. His name is holy. He's got a kingdom, and it's going to come as it is in heaven. And then, and then what else? He can provide for us daily bread. He can forgive our sins. What else? He can lead us uh, away from the evil one. This is a large and sovereign and huge God, and yet how does he say we can address him at the beginning of the prayer? What? Call him what? Father, which was a very personal term. As you take each of these I just think it's important for us to remind ourselves that every day it matters how big your God is. It really does. God Almighty is powerful and he's big. And you might be facing a challenge that seems really big to you right now. It could be something in your marriage or something with one of your kids. It could be cancer. It could be some mess you've gotten yourself into or something someone did, but it just feels like this insurmountable pile of immovable rubble in front of you that's just got you held in place. And I would just say, how big is your God? How big is your God? This one who is able the Bible says, to do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. It doesn't mean God will do anything you want him to do, but it means whatever you're looking at, 
And you're like, well, some of you are like, oh, you don't know my problem. My problem is so big. I can tell you what your problem is. If that's how you feel, your problem is that your God is too small. That's your problem. How big is your God? The creed reminds us what the Bible says. Our God is big. So cast your cares on him. He's not just infinitely powerful. He's intensely personal. Invites us to call him father. Some of us struggle with that because we just need to stop letting our crummy, disappointing ideas of human fathers shape our idea of God. And instead, we need to let this amazing heavenly father of love and fairness and patience and grace and truth and justice reshape our understanding of what it is to be a parent. Jesus says, you want to know what your God is like? You want to know what the Father is like, he says? He's like, this this guy, he had two sons and this one ran away and thumbed his nose, shamed and disgraced his father, brought through absolute disregard on the father. But when he came to his senses, he came dragging home with his tail between his legs and that father didn't whip him, didn't punish him. He ran down the road and embraced him and said, let's throw a party. That's what your dad is like. That's God. Some of you are like, I don't know. You feel so sheepish and guilty around God all the time. It's why you don't pray because you think he's sick of hearing from you. You're afraid to come home. Some of you need to come home today. Because a God who loves you is waiting for you. Galatians 4, 7 says, you're not a slave, you're God's child. And since you're his child, that means you get the inheritance. You get all the stuff that's his. He wants to give it to you. Some of you still living like you're an enemy of God, and maybe you are. Maybe you think God is perpetually upset with you, disappointed in you. Well, he, he does get disappointed and grieved and hates our sin. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to die, to take the punishment for all that sin so you could come running home into his arms. Instead of trying to live your life like some kind of religious do-gooder where you're going to climb some ladder of moral good to sort of get into his good graces, but you never get there. That's bad news, guys. There's good news. It's Jesus, and it comes from the heart of the Father. 1 John 3, 1 says, see how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. And for some of you, I hope, I hope this just rings true in your heart today, that you know you're a child loved by God. Do you know how much the Father loves you? You know the word that Jesus uses for Father when he refers to God? Almighty creator, God, he call, He uses the Aramaic word, Abba. It's right in your Bible, Abba. You know what Abba means? Daddy, Papa. It's a term of endearment. The first words out of an Aramaic baby's mouth, Mama, Abba. Like a little baby, a little three-year-old at night, Abba. You can pray like that. You can pray like that. You can reach out to God. It's a term of affection or endearment, signaling a close relationship. And friend, I hope you understand you are Abba's child. You are Abba's child. The infinitely powerful God of the universe who flings stars into space, casts the sun where he wants it, holds the earth in his hand, is also the one that you get to call daddy if you put your faith and say, I believe, credo, in Jesus Christ.
which means you can play at his feet and run in his, and sit in his lap and he will sing over you and you can cast your cares on him. That's so what about the creed. And so I'm going to invite you to say you believe it right now. As a statement of faith and a sort of renewal of your vows, maybe a declaration for the first time in an old crusty heart in a long time that you'll declare your faith in God. So at all of our campuses, I'm going to invite you to rise to your feet. We're going to say the creed together. I'll remind you that we don't believe in incantations. Like these are magic charm words. Like if you say them, all of a sudden you accidentally become a Christian. If you're not a believer, you don't have to worry about that. You can say these words and think about them. It's not a lucky charm. Like if you say these words four times, you're going to get that girl you had your eye on, or you're going to get a, you know, hit the jackpot this week with the lottery. It doesn't work that way. But here's what they can be. They can be a chance for you to say, I believe. Help my unbelief. And to lodge your faith in the one true God. Let's say together, the people of God, at all of our campuses in one voice, let's say together. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me pray. God, we come to you now as our infinitely powerful and yet intensely personal Abba, Daddy. Anchor our faith in this ancient and ever-living truth of who you are and what that means for our lives. Help us to still stand with you. In the name of Christ our Lord, all God's people said, Amen. Amen.